You're listening to So Much Pingle, the podcast about herpetology, field herping, and anything and everything about amphibians and reptiles. Join us each week as Mike and his guests explore the amazing world of herps across our planet. And now, bringing a half century of experience and perspective to the microphone, here's your host, Mike Pingleton. Hello there, everyone, and welcome to the show. Mike Pingleton here, and I am your host for these proceedings. And here we go with episode 54, and I hope you all remain safe and healthy out there, and I wish you all the best of this holiday season, and a happy new year. So here we are, it's New Year's Eve morning, and this is the last episode of 2021. I'm pushing things up a bit just to get in one more show before 2022 comes up, and uh, oh boy, the past few weeks have been a bit stressful as far as the show is concerned, thanks to some problems with my laptop, from which... All of this content originates. Uh, I had a fan and a motherboard replaced, but then there were some more problems after that. And then a couple of no-call, no-shows from the service tech uh, really set my teeth on edge, to say the least. But as of yesterday, there was a successful technician visit, and my laptop appears to be functioning normally again. So, uh, you know, knock on wood. But 2022 is looking good, and uh, just to give you an update, I have a couple of recorded episodes in the edit process, and uh, I've got about a half dozen interviews that I would classify as agreed to but not yet scheduled. So January looks to be a busy month, and uh, I'm hoping to record some more episodes from Peru when I return there in a few weeks. And of course, I'm just looking forward to getting back to Peru after almost a two-year hiatus. Uh, Now, before we get to the show, I want to take a minute to thank all of the show's patrons, including our newest Patreon supporter, Cam Delahose. Thank you so much, Cam. And we, we've not met yet, and I'm, I'm hoping I'm pronouncing your name correctly. Uh, I'm so thankful for all the folks who support the show and to help keep it rolling along. And to dig into this a little bit, uh, like most podcasts, the show is hooked into a giant podcast generating and hosting machine that requires monthly payments, and your contributions help to meet all that overhead And if you're curious, I I use uh, Blueberry for a hosting platform and Elitu for some sound leveling and stitching work. And then I use Squadcast for recording interviews over the internet. And of course, then everything gets edited on my laptop using Adobe Audition and other tools. And there's also some uh, occasional equipment costs involved. Uh, For example, I just upgraded to a four-track recorder Uh, for use in the field. And I'm looking forward to putting that in play because if I'm talking to four people in a hotel room somewhere or at Dick and Patty Bartlett's house or in the rainforest, the four track means that everyone gets a microphone and there's no more of the, you know, the noisy business of passing mics around. And of course that makes the recording sound much better and it cuts the editing time way down. Uh, I do have to hump around a much heavier field kit now, uh, but that's okay. You know, there's no room in the budget for a production assistant. So, so end of the year and you get a little peek at what you're supporting. And once again, I want to say thank you. And if you're out there listening and you'd like to kick in a few bucks, you can do so via Patreon. Just go to patreon.com slash so much pingle and so much pingle is all one word. And you can also make one-time contributions via PayPal or Venmo. Just drop me an email to so much pingle at gmail.com for more details. And uh, one more thank you to all the folks who've reached out to me about the show. 
Uh, I appreciate your comments and suggestions and, and your ideas for guests and things like that. And got to say the feedback is important and it keeps me from feeling like I'm operating in a giant bubble. Now let's get to this week's episode. Paul Eric Bachlin teaches high school in the Chattanooga, Tennessee area. And he has a master's degree in the biological sciences from the University of Tennessee at Chattanooga. So Paul Eric and I are friends on social media and we know each other a little bit. And uh, I happened to see a post he had made about a herpetology club that he had started at the high school where he teaches. And, and there's photos of Paul Eric and some of the club members with a poster that they had presented at the Tennessee Herpetological Society's annual meeting. And I thought, ooh, you know, I need to talk to this guy. So I did, and we talked about the club and about music and a number of other things. And, uh, you know, I really enjoyed getting to know Mr. Bachlin better. So let's get to that interview. Hi there, everyone. Welcome back to the show. And today we have Paul Eric Bachland on the show. Welcome to the show, Paul. Thanks for having me, Mike. It's good to talk to you, and uh, hopefully you had a nice Christmas. And... Yeah, I did. It was it was great. How was yours? Uh, very good. Very good. Lots of my family was over. My grandkids were all over. So that's, uh, you know, that's what it's all about. So uh, we had a good time and uh, not too much traveling. And the weather is uh, uh, frightfully good or has been. <laughs> yeah, it's the, it's the same here. It's, it's got me thinking I might need to go out and look for some salamanders or something. You know, I, I had that thought, but today I woke up and uh, it's actually the first snow of, the, of uh, December mm. uh, of the winter season for us. So it's snowing and sleeting out there and temperatures drop. So it's more like it's supposed to be in December around here, at least. So I thought, well, maybe I'll just sit inside and have a nice cup of coffee and talk to Paul. Yeah. Well, happy to be here. Yeah. Uh, so you are, um, first of all, let's talk about you and, and who you are and, and, uh, and what you, what you're up to. You're from the, uh, you're from Tennessee. You live and work in Chattanooga, correct? Uh, yeah, right out, right outside of Chattanooga. So the, the school that I teach at is actually in Ottawa. Um, but it's yeah, basically right outside of Chattanooga. I, I do refer to Chattanooga as my home when I tell people where I'm from, I, I say Chattanooga, even though that's not technically true. <laughs> yeah, but it's easier. It gives them a geographic reference. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. That's why I tell people, I, well, I live south of Chicago. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, good. And and uh, you are your school teacher, and uh, you attended the University of Chattanooga or Tennessee at Chattanooga. Excuse me. That's correct. Uh, married. Your wife's name is Sherry, and mm-hmm. uh, you got a bunch of uh, animals. Yes. Yeah, we do. Cat, cats, and a dog, and. Um, of course, a few herps, um, and a tarantula, a tarantula. Okay. Um, one of the reasons, well, I, you know, you and I met, uh, at snake road briefly, uh, I think maybe three years ago or so, maybe. Yeah. I was trying to remember that. I think, I think it might've been, was it 2018? I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah. So, and we got to chat a little bit. So, um, so it's good to sit down and have an extended chat with you. Cause that's kind of hard to do while you're standing on snake road and there are things are happening and everybody wants to go find cool stuff. So, right. <laughs> uh, so this is a good opportunity to sit down and just talk with you. And the, uh, the, what, what really instigated me to, uh, reach out and was a, a post you made a, a number of weeks ago, uh, concerning a herpetology club that you have at your local high school. So uh, why don't we get into that a little bit and tell us, you know, did you start the herpetology club? 
Yeah, so if, if it's all right, I might give you the long version of this. Oh, um, please do. Yeah, so this is this is my third year uh, teaching at East Hamilton School, and um, I, I I went into teaching high school um, kind of on an experimental basis. I know that sounds that sounds maybe not so great, um, but I wasn't sure I wasn't sure if that would be the right fit for me initially, um, and so I went into it with uh, with kind of an, an experimental attitude, and it turns out I actually really enjoy it. Um, but that was not my original goal um, in school, um, in college. But um, yeah, so it turns out I, I actually really do like teaching high school. So it's, it's worked out good. But my, my first semester um, at this school, teaching at this school, uh, we have this thing called um, a green block, which is like some schools call it like a skinny block or something. But it's, a, it's kind of a shorter class period that um, a lot of teachers will host like, a, like a study hall or, you know, a campus beautification thing or something. And so they asked me if there was anything I would like to teach during that time period and ha- having this background in herpetology, I was like, well, how about, how about a herpetology class? And, uh, the administration was very supportive of that. And they're like, yeah, that's a great idea. And so that first semester I got to teach, um, and I don't even know what I would call it, a, a survey of the introduction to herpetology or something like that. We just called it herpetology, but there's there's only so, mi- so much you can get into in, in 30 minutes, you know, each day. Um, so I taught this class. Uh, it was, they had to close uh, registration for the class because it was in so much demand. It was absolutely completely full. And I don't, re- I don't remember offhand exactly how many uh, were in that class, but um, it, it was approaching a, a like a, a fire code violation. <laughs> there were there were so many students in there, um, but it was great. A lot a lot of enthusiasm. A lot of a lot of kids really interested in in learning about reptiles and amphibians. So I did that, um, and then they needed me uh, for a different class the in subsequent semesters. So I wasn't able to do that again. Um, but I just I, I had to scratch this herpetology itch in some way. Um, and so, you know, in my regular classes, the biology classes that I teach, I, I weave in reptile and amphibian examples every chance I get. Um, so I can, I can kind of, you know, explore those things, um, in that way. But, um, I wanted something more specifically focused on, on reptiles and amphibians. And so I thought, well, we can just start a club and see how that goes. And so we started up a club this semester, um, and got a lot of a uh, lot of interest, uh, a lot of students sign, signing up for it, and it's whittled down a little bit um, to kind of the core group. Um, but there's there's probably 10, 10 to fifteen students that that are regular members of the club that show up to meetings. Um, and uh, yeah, we we're just getting started. We you know we kind of just recently. Um, wrote the constitution and got the club officially approved through the district so we can start fundraising and that sort of thing. Um, and we've got various goals um, that short-term and long-term goals that, that we're working towards as a club. And I, I could talk about some of those specifically if you'd like, but it's very, it sounds very cool. Um, and so you, you get uh, the blessing of the uh, administration to do this based on your, the, the, demand for your herpetology class, which unfortunately was a one-off, but, uh, why do you think, um, why do you think so many kids are interested in, 
in herpetology and I'm thinking, um, I mean, 20 years ago, how many kids would know what herpetology was? So uh, what do you think is going on here? Right. Well, I, I think some of it may be the novelty of it. There's not really a comparable club at our high school. And so it kind of stood out. We had this um, kind of club. I'm not sure what you'd call it. Like a, uh, we, we had this event basically in the beginning of the year where, where different clubs could set up tables to kind of advertise what they were all about. And, you know, our table had, um, you know, field guides and snake hooks and, you know, boroscopes and, and like field tools and, and various herpetology, uh, you know, field, field herp tools, um, set out. And I think that, that kind of, that caught a lot of interest among the students. And, uh, I don't know, I, it's, it's hard to say exactly what caught their interest, but I suspect it's probably a lot of the same things that grabbed our interests, you know, when, when we were younger too. Do you think um, do you think that the tactile nature of it helps? I mean, you 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 can't catch a bird, sure, not, not easily, but you can hold a frog or a turtle or a snake or whatever. Right? Yeah, no, I, I definitely think that has something to do with it. And and I I've had a um, a snake in my classroom since I started there. Um, I have a boa constrictor in my classroom that that's been a, a feature of of my classroom. And so I I had students from. Um, not even my students, just uh, students at the school that had heard that there was a big snake in Mr. Bachlin's classroom. So I had ah. kids coming by regularly to see the snake. Um, and uh, so I, that maybe generated some of the interest as well. And then I would say that mo- the, the majority of my students that are in this club um, were in my other classes as well. And so uh you know, I, I promote reptile and amphibian conservation every at every opportunity that I can. And so I like to think at least that maybe some of that has um, found its way into into their thinking. Okay. So, uh, and I'm going to say this, it, some of it's, uh, oh, well, Mr. Bachlin's pretty cool. And here's something cool he's doing. So, you know, maybe that's part of it, even though you probably don't want to say that. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Well, yeah, maybe. <laughs> no, I'm going to put that down for a strong maybe. Uh, <laughs> well, that's cool. So in terms of the club, uh, what is, you know, you have clubs has, you know, has rules and has a constitution, but what kind of activities are you going, are you doing in the club? So just getting started with this being our, our like kind of pilot semester for this thing, it's been, um, it's been, I guess I would describe it as a, a herp appreciation club, um, so far. Um, and that's just because we're, we're kind of getting our feet under us and trying to figure out exactly how we're going to go about, um, you know, our, our sort of more long-term goals. So we've, we've done some things like, um, we had over fall break, a, a herping competition, which was basically just like a species list. And whoever came back from fall break with the, the biggest species list won a prize. Mm. Um, we had around Halloween, a, a, a pumpkin decorating competition, herp themed pumpkin decorating competition. Um, and then a lot of it has been planning because I, I don't want this to be a thing that that I'm just, you know, charging forward and they're, they're following behind me. I want them to kind of, um, you know, be involved with the direction that, that we go. 
So we, a lot of our meetings more recently have been planning what, what we want to do and what we want to accomplish as a club. And so some of those, some of those goals include um, improving habitat on campus to attract oh. herps. Um, and, you know, a lot of that involves installing um, artificial cover, like tree frog refugia, and maybe some cover boards. Um, we don't have a ton of property, um, but there is a couple of patches of natural habitat and there's a creek that flows through campus. Um, and so there's, there's been a few things that we found already. We found some green tree frogs. Uh, there's been uh, black king snakes on campus and rat snakes and um, southern two-line salamanders. And so there, there are some herps already. Um, but I would say the the primary focus of the club is to engage in activities that um, work for conservation. And one of the easiest ways that we can do that is, is through fundraising. And it's hard to get, or at least I anticipated it hard to get uh, teenagers excited about fundraising. Um, but one of the ways that we're going to approach doing this is a lot of these conservation organizations have cool merchandise or memberships that have certain perks and that money goes towards conservation. Like I think of uh, Bob Ferguson, for example, you know, with his calendar thing, yeah. uh, raising all that, raising all that money um, to protect habitat. Every time you buy a calendar that, that money goes towards conservation. Right. And so, one of the things that we're we're planning on doing, a major thing that we're planning on doing, is is raising funds so that these club members can go and purchase these these cool things from these organizations, where that money then directly goes to conservation. So we're contributing to conservation, and the club members get something cool out of the deal too, whether it's a T-shirt or a, a membership or a calendar, or stickers or mugs or whatever it is. Yeah, um, and they they seem all about that. So, um, I'm, I'm excited to see where that goes. You know, some of it will be kind of simple stuff like, um, just selling pizzas on campus. Oh, um, okay. But we've, we've got, we've got some other ideas too. We are the vice uh, president of the club is, is a very talented artist. She, she do, uh, drew the, um, the logo for our club. And so we're thinking of, of making stickers and t-shirts and hats of our own that we could sell, uh, to, to raise some money as well. But cool. yeah, the, the goal, the goal is conservation. And, and that's something I've really, I really tried to drive home both in the herpetology class that I taught and, you know, discussions that I have with the club that if, if we love these things, um, you know, one of the, one of the best things we can do is, is work to protect them. And yeah. they, they seem on board with that. Okay. Well, be sure to let me know when you get some swag stickers and t-shirts for sale and we'll, we'll talk it up. Yeah, absolutely. Get some of my friends out there to, to help out. Yeah. So what's the age? What's, you know, it's been a long time since I was in high school. What, what's, what's the age group? Are we, are we getting freshmen and seniors? Are we getting, what, who's, what's the, the demographic of the, of the herpetology club? Well, the, uh, the club officers are pretty much all seniors. Um, and so they will be, they will be gone at the end of the year. And uh, we'll have to elect new officers, which we're going to do every year anyways. Um, I would say that it's mostly juniors and seniors. The, there are some, you know, I don't think there's any freshmen. So basically sophomores through seniors. Um, and that's largely just because I don't 
interact with the freshmen and sophomores because the classes I teach are, are primarily juniors and seniors. I see. Um, and so that's, that's really where, uh, you know, the lion's share of the promoting comes from is, is just, Oh, Hey, by the way, um, you should think about joining the herpetology club if you're yeah. interested in reptiles and amphibians. So, um, yeah, most, mostly juniors and seniors. There's a few sophomores too. When I, um, when I was in junior high and high school, I had a, uh, a science teacher who took my interest in, in herpetology and just supported it and, uh, guided me and got me, you know, past some, some dumb kid ideas about it and, and really set my, my whole approach to this, this lifelong passion. And one of the things that, you know, he, he would, uh, we would do, um, ornithology would be one semester and herpetology another semester. He would rotate through and talk about all these different, uh, groups of animals and there would, there would be a field trip and, um, you know, for the, you know, the herps portion of that, we, we would, uh, actually it would be two field trips. We would go to a museum and then we would do a field trip to the field where we would find stuff. So, so I'm wondering if, uh, and of course, you know, that's, those things that just sort of set the hook in my mouth, if, if you know sure. what I'm talking about. And so I wonder, do you have the field trips planned or anything like that? Or Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so, um, you know, this, uh, this poster that my, my students presented at the, at the Tennessee Herbological Society meeting, um, that was hosted at the Tennessee Aquarium. And so that's kind of, ah. kind of like our first field trip, so to speak. I mean, it was, you know, it was a, a conference, but... Um, there was a behind the scenes tour of the, the Tennessee aquarium, which is, which is quite something. Um, and so, yeah, yeah, that was kind of our first, uh, first field trip, so to speak. But yeah, I, I do have plans to get them out in the field. And one of the things that we'd really like to do is, um, both participate in, um, bio blitzes, but also, um, host some bio blitzes. And, uh, I think that would be a a good way to, you know, contribute some citizen science data to some larger data sets. Um, yeah, very good. Uh, and I, and of course, um, meeting, you know, going to the aquarium, I mean, you're, uh, they get to mingle with people who take care of animals and protect animals for a living. And, you know, they get to, they get to rub elbows with people who are involved in the sciences and so on and so forth. So there's this. Uh, it sort of opens their horizons a little bit. Yeah. It? Yeah. I definitely think so. And that's, you know, aside from, you know, uh, the fact that, that seeing, seeing a reptile or amphibian up close can kind of be an inspiring experience. Um, that's a big part of the reason that I have, uh, snakes, um, and, a a Pac-Man frog in my, in my classroom is, I, I view, you know, the work that zoos and aquariums are doing as kind of an, an important component in this, in this conservation thing. And so w- one of the things that um, I view as a goal for the club is, um, you know, kind of discussing proper husbandry and the work that goes into that. And so, um, yeah, I think it was a great experience for them to get to, you know, to talk to some of these people that work um, at the aquarium. Um and also get to participate in, um, you know, the, the captive husbandry of the, the herps that are in, in my classroom. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Which, you know, even if they're not interested in, in herpetology, um, 
you know, it, it's a, it's a great tool to normalize those animals, yeah. you know? Um, oh yeah. I'm not really into snakes, but I, every time I go into Mr. Bachlan's classroom, there's a, a snake in there, but I like the frog, but I don't like the snake, but at least they, at least they sort of get a, some exposure to it. And, you know, they don't, uh, maybe, maybe it doesn't turn them into a herpetologist, but it may, you know, inform their, their later opinion on the, on this. Career. Well, and that's been something so cool that I've gotten to see over the last few years is, you know, students that start off absolutely being terrified of snakes. And then by the end of the semester, they're asking to hold, hold one of the snakes and, uh, just seeing attitudes change, um, with a little bit of information and a little bit of, you know, hands-on experience with, with, a with a snake is, has been a really cool thing to see. Yeah. Uh, you also mentioned, the the trip to the aquarium, you had, the the local herp society involved is at the Chattanooga herp. So society? it's the Tennessee herpetological society. And so it's hosted somewhere different each year. Um, but this year it just happened to be in Chattanooga. And, and, uh, when I saw the call for abstracts, I was like, Oh man, this is, this is right down the road. Like this is something that I think I could probably get the administration to approve the kids missing a couple of days of school to go and do this thing. And so I pitched the idea to, uh, to my club and I said, you know, are you guys interested in, in doing a poster for this thing? Um, and I told him, I was like, you know, it's, it's kind of dry work putting a poster together. Um, it's, it's not as fun as, as going out and, and catching frogs or flipping for snakes. Uh, but you know, it's, it's kind of, kind of a, a cool thing for high school students to get involved with just because it's, it's somewhat novel. I, I have, you know, I've been to quite a few herpetology meetings over the years and, and to the best of my recollection, I've, I've never seen, um, a high school group presenting anything at, at one of these meetings. And so I thought, well, this, this is something that, you know, might look good on some, some college applications and, and, yeah. uh, yeah, so they, they were all about it and we, we got a lot of great feedback from, you know, uh, various people that attended this meeting and, um, yeah, the, the administration at our school was very supportive of it. They, they thought it was a great thing for, for them to get involved with. I'm happy to do that. Well, that's good. And, and, um, Hopefully some, uh, some of your, uh, some of the folks at your school will listen to. to oh yeah, show. I'm sure. I, I know the, the club members will be for sure. For sure. sure. Yeah. Uh, uh, the, uh, the Tennessee Herpetological Society, is that a, pro, like a professional society? Is that got all the, the people involved in conservation? And it that does. Kind of yeah. People at universities. So the Tennessee whatnot. Wildlife Resources Agency, which is like our, our DNR basically, um, they're they're heavily involved with it but yeah it's it's um her, herpetologists from across the state um come to this thing and and present present their research so what a cool thing for the kids um uh, to get to rub el elbows with the professionals you know i may be reaching out a little bit or thinking a little ahead on this but to me when you can take uh, a bunch of kids and put them on equal footing uh, with professionals, uh, it, it's a confidence builder. Um, you know, these, these people aren't scary. Right. Uh, you know, it, it, it's kind of, you know, when you, when you're not really, uh, exposed to, to people, you know, professors or wildlife biologists, if you're not really exposed to those people, it, it, if you're a kid, it can be a little scary, you know, because you feel like, well, I don't know anything and they know everything. So here's a unique opportunity for those kids to sort of 
come in on, on neutral ground and, and be part of the fun and, and, uh, you know, open some doors and they have chats with some of these folks and they sort of, you know, it, it's got to build the, it's got to build some things for them. Yeah, definitely. And that was, um, something I I was really excited for them to get to experience. And they really, uh, they, they did so well at this, at this meeting too. Like they, they sat in on the talks, um, and asked good questions after different presentations. Uh And, and then of course, during the poster session, when people were coming around and and looking at our poster and asking questions, they, they fielded questions like, like experts. So they were, um, I, I think that they, they, they dipped their toes into the water in, in kind of a big way. Um, so yeah, I think it's cool. A, a few of them have expressed an interest in pursuing herpetology as a career down the road. And so I'm, I'm excited about that, but, um, I, I, I suspect that several of them will go into the natural sciences in, in one form or another down the road. Um, so yeah, I think I think that it it was a good experience for them to get to see what you know what the professional side of this actually looks like, um, and they seem to really enjoy it too. And uh, from the uh, the other side of the coin, I, uh, the the kids were pretty well received and made welcome, and uh, I, I'm just quite sure of that. Uh, you know, it's such a unique opportunity, and even the the other folks are probably pleased to, to have the kids there and to participate. Yeah, definitely. I think our, I think our poster got, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of traffic, um, largely because, you know, high school students presenting something at a, at a herpetology meeting like that, it's kind of unusual. Um, and so people wanted to, to see what that was all about. And essentially what our poster was, is our, is, is really kind of a prospectus of where we want to take the club and things we want to do. So there wasn't really any like you know, cold, hard data in, in the, in the poster, but it was kind of our plans for okay. the future. And I, I think it was, it was well-received. Did uh, folks have some suggestions for yes. your club? Yep. Got some good suggestions, some good feedback. Um, a lot of good questions. Yeah, it was awesome. Very good. And and this is a multi-day event. That's Yeah, cool. it was. So it was on a, on a Monday and Tuesday. And so I was a little hesitant at first to, to even ask if this was going to be okay. Cause it's kind of right, right near finals and, and everything else. But, um, I, I ran it by the principal and kind of told him what it was. He's like, Oh yeah, that, that sounds like a great idea. Let's do that. <laughs> Super. I, well, I'm all for the, I'm all for formal education, but this, this stuff that happens is extracurricular things can be just as powerful in shaping somebody's outlook and somebody's future. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think, uh, I think you're absolutely right. Um, so how many, how many kids again? Okay. Let me see. Um, at the meeting we had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. We had seven that actually attended the meeting. Um, but there's about twice that, that are actually in the club. Not, not everybody was able to go. Okay. Yeah. All right. That's, that's pretty amazing. What size, what size is the school? How big, how many kids go to the school? Um, I, I want to say it's just under 1300. Oh, wow. Okay. So fairly good size school. Uh, I, you know, I still think that's, um, that's kind of an amazing turnout. Um, the school's big, but you you still have a a fair number of kids there. Well, and I, I think it says something too that you know we meet after school largely on Fridays, and so like I, I I think that that says something about their their dedication and level of interest in this stuff that they're willing to hang out after school on Friday um, for these meetings, and 
So I don't know. I think that speaks volumes about them. Yeah. It's the weekend, baby. Let's do right. herpetology. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's so cool. Um, and so for the future, you've, you've, you've just started developing this. So you expect this just to keep rolling forward and, and, um, new officers every year, new kids coming in and, and, um, that's kind of cool. Now, do you, will you have, uh, speakers come in and talk to your group? Well, is that an, an option where you have somebody, you know, your state herpetologist or whatever, come in and, and, uh, have some conversations? Yeah, absolutely. That, that is definitely, um, part of our plans is, is we definitely want to have, um, some people come and talk to the club. Um, maybe people bring in some, some animals to, to talk to the kids about. And, uh, yeah, I want to have a variety of, um, you know, different, different experts and people that work in the field come and talk to them. Um, so yeah, definitely. And, and another thing that we really want to get involved with is, is forming some, um, partnerships where we can, uh, potentially get involved with some actual field work, um, and so there's there's some some local organizations, but potentially with my my former lab at, at UTC, um, and uh, there, there's some other like regional universities that hopefully we can we can maybe partner with and and maybe get out in the field and, and get them some some real experience um, with with data collection in the field. And obviously, it's it doesn't have to all be you know uh, science driven. I mean, some of it should just be for fun. Yeah. Uh, field herping is fun. And, you know, my, my, my kids are, are all budding field, field herpers. And, uh, so that's been a focus as well as like ethical field herping and, oh, and cool. how, to, how to do this stuff without, you know, causing any sort of problems to the animals or the habitat and that kind of thing. Yeah. Ethics. Yep. Rights and responsibilities. That's right. <laughs> yeah. And, and of course I think Tennessee, you have some, you have, can have some restrictive uh, regulations that that get in the way of too much, right? We do, we do, and so that's actually that's one of the one of the things that um, I, I'm largely going to have to work on by myself. But is getting a uh, a collection permit because you really you really technically need a collection permit to any reptile or amphibian in the state of Tennessee, and I, I don't know that 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 law really ever gets too strongly enforced. Um, but you know, we want to do everything above board. And so some of the things that we want to do on campus in particular, um, will require a, a collection permit. And so, yeah, that, that's, that's something that I'm, I'm, I'm in the process of, of getting started. Um, but yeah, no, unfortunately there's, there's, there's not too gotcha. much that can be done, um, outside of working under uh, some sort of state permit. Oh, that's, which is a, you know, one reason to, uh, to get some, get them involved with some field work with, uh, existing projects. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So it's, it's kind of intricate, but you're moving forward with it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I want to say about that, that the aquarium too, that, uh, man, that place is awesome. Uh, yeah. I, I spent some time there a few years ago and it's pretty cool. Yeah. They've got quite the turtle collection there. They have some alligator snappers. Mm-hmm. that I, I I think I was there just sitting there in front of the alligator snappers for probably 45 minutes just watching them swim around and they were and they were doing they were uh, it was a I think it was a pair there were a male was pursuing the female around the you know underwater so that was kind of interesting to watch that that yeah. as well so but uh, absolutely a cool place to go 
Have you been since uh, since they got rid of their venomous snakes? Did you know that that had happened? Um, no, I don't recall the snakes, but it must. This is probably going back to twenty seventeen or twenty sixteen. Okay, so yeah, so I think they were already gone at that point. But okay. in, in in Tennessee, they they passed a law that you couldn't keep um, venomous snakes unless you kept anti venom on hand, and it just became like prohibitively expensive because that stuff like expire, you know, it's got a shelf life. And, uh, so I think it, it just kind of became prohibitively expensive for a lot of these, these organizations to continue keeping venomous snakes. When, if you get bit by a, <laughs> a snake that you're keeping and you take your own anti-venom to the hospital, they're not even going to use it probably anyways. Um, they're, they're going to use what, where, you know, some anti-venom that they know where it came from for sure. Uh, so it's kind of, kind of a, an un- unfortunate thing, but, uh, yeah, they they got rid of all their venomous snakes huh. several years ago. Well, the liability has to be, you know, your liability insurance for for that kind of thing has to be prohibitive too. Right. Yeah. Oh boy. Wow. Well, I I guess I understand that. So. Yeah. But I'm thankful there's still plenty of places uh, with some nice venomous collections, like the St. Louis Zoo, which has a really nice venomous collection. Yeah. Yeah, I've not gotten a chance to visit there, but it's that's another thing on my to-do list. Well, I'll say, uh, um, kind of getting off the topic a little bit, but the St. Louis uh, Herpetarium is this just wonderful building uh, built oh back in the day when they used terracotta and fine material, you know, brass and fine materials and sculptures, and and just it's just a beautiful uh, building. Cool. And, um, plus, they you know, and they have things like. Mangshan vipers on display. So that's a, awesome. that's a real draw yeah, <laughs> and, and the zoo is free. So. Oh, cool. Even yeah. better. Yeah. St. Louis, they did that. They did that a good job with that back in the day. The, uh, there's a, there's a tax that, uh, the, the city and County both have a tax that covers the zoo and the art museum. Okay. So the, the, the County, you know, St. Louis County surrounds the city. And so the, County residents and city residents both both pay a tiny little bit in of tax to support those institutions, but uh, that means you go to the zoo; it's free. So. That's awesome. That's kind of like how it is in uh, D.C. I think, right? The, their museums are all all free. I think for the same reason. Yeah, so it's enjoyed by all, and and, and you know, you know, it's not nobody's blocked from going there because they don't have you know twelve bucks, twelve bucks or whatever it would cost you to get in. Sure. Otherwise, so. So I think that's, that's a good cool. deal. Yeah. Uh, well, th- this is a, hopefully uh, we, you and I can continue to keep uh, um, in touch about this project because I'm, I'm interested in how this goes. And uh, and like I said, what uh, uh, let me know about the fundraising part of this because it's uh, uh, also um, something maybe we can help out with. Um, you know, cool. tried to help Bob out with his calendar project. So, um, you know, that's, same sort of thing. Anything to help the kids, you know. Uh, yeah, very cool. It, your background is in biology, though. Your your degree is. It in, is. Yeah. So this is right up your alley. It is. Yeah. And I, you know, when I finally settled on a major, I, I kind of bounced around a lot in my early years of college, not exactly sure what I wanted to do. Um, you know, and you you kind of mentioned that it was a it was a high school teacher that encouraged your interest in reptiles and amphibians. That was not my experience. Um, Sadly, I I had kind of a dismal um, science experience through 
through high school. Um, and it was never really made clear to me that herpetology was something that could be pursued professionally. Um, my, my understanding of people that worked with reptiles and amphibians was basically limited to Steve Irwin. Wow. You know, I saw this guy on TV. He's like, okay, if you want to work with reptiles and amphibians professionally, you either work in a zoo or you're a TV personality. And I didn't realize that there was other routes you could go with that. And so when I started college, I did not start as a, as a biology major. I started as a, a journalism major because I had, I, I really, had you ever seen the movie Almost Famous? Yeah. Yeah, about the, the the kid that, you know, travels around with a rock band and writes for Rolling Stone magazine. Yeah, what's his name? I, yeah, thought, I forgot his name. That's a cool movie, yeah. Yeah, it's a great movie. And, I, you know, I, I saw that movie in high school and I thought, you know what? That's what I want to do. I want to travel around and go to concerts and write about music. <laughs> and so I started off as a journalism major and talking to a few local journalists. Um, they they kind of disillusioned me uh, about that whole plan. And so I, I bounced around for a while, taking various classes, not knowing exactly what I wanted to do. And I finally kind of, re- I guess I learned somewhere along the way, oh, there, there's this, you know, there's a whole field of herpetology where you can make a career out of studying reptiles and amphibians. And I, I had been into reptiles and amphibians since I was a little kid, um, my whole life. I, I don't remember a time when I wasn't fascinated with them. And so I finally landed in a biology major and then I went to grad school for environmental science. My master's degree is in environmental science, but both my bachelor's in biology and master's of environmental science were from UTC. And the plan was to use that as, you know, a jumping off point to go into a PhD program. I wanted to do academia. Um, but as a grad student, I, um, I had a teaching assistantship where I got to teach some biology labs. And I discovered that absolutely love teaching. And I was like, okay, well, this was not part of my original plan. um, But I would love for education to be a component of whatever I wind up doing professionally down the road. Um, And I wasn't at the time thinking high school. um, But I definitely wanted teaching to be a component of, of whatever I wound up doing. So right after right after grad school, I got a, uh, an adjunct teaching position at the university and I got to teach ecology and um, biology one and two and ecology lab. And so I got to teach these, these various college level classes and I, I got a big kick out of that. Um, but as, as anyone who's ever taught adjunct classes will tell you that uh, doesn't really pay the bills. No. <laughs> so I had, I had to look elsewhere and I, I had a buddy that, um, that uh, came out of my same program. He, he got out like a, maybe two years be- before I finished that was teaching in the County. And he's like, you know, you ought to, you ought to consider teaching high school. And I was like, I don't know if I'd be any good at that. Like I feel okay standing, you know, behind a podium and lecturing for 90 minutes. I don't know if I'm creative enough to be a high school teacher and whatnot. And he's like, well, you know, if you don't like it or you're not good at it or whatever, you don't have to keep doing it, but y- you ought to, you ought to consider trying it. It's a, you know, it's a real job. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, okay, all right, we'll try it out. And the more I started thinking about it, the more I thought, you know, I didn't really have a teacher early on that inspired me, you know, to pursue the path that I eventually wound up on anyways. But man, I could have gotten so much further in life had I had that kind of early direction. And so that, that was another thing that kind of lit the fire into me. I was like, you know what, if, if you know, despite the fact that I didn't have that in high school, 
you know, I, I wound up, I wound up where I was, where I was ultimately meant to be in the end anyways. But if I can, if I can be, you know, provide some sort of guidance to these kids earlier on in life, um, maybe I can kind of be the the high school teacher that I didn't have, but I wish I had had, you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Well, that's, that's awesome because that's, you know, it's hard to find people who don't have respect for teachers and what teachers do. Uh, and they're terror, you know, they're terribly underpaid and underappreciated, I think as a whole in society, but, uh, everybody, you know, and I'm, I'm going to use you for an exception, but almost everybody's got a, a favorite teacher that they go, oh, yeah. yeah. And, and it's never, Oh, what was that teacher's name? It was like, his name was Donald Kreutzer. And he taught seventh, he taught me in seventh and eighth grade and he taught me in high school. And thank you, by the way, Donald Kreutzer for all you did for me, but you don't forget their name and you, you, for, you remember all that stuff. And so, um, you know, that's kids walk around with that in their heads and until, you know, their last breath, you don't forget those, those people, they mean something. So, yeah. So it's, it's a big deal. And I think the idea that, you know, and I'm, it's, I'm sorry to hear that you didn't really get that. I don't want to call it a mentorship or, uh, but you didn't have that, that experience, but, uh, the idea that kid, that kids come off, throw their hat in the air or walk off the stage with their diploma and they're a fully formed human being <laughs> is, uh, it, you know, it's, there's, there's always going to be a few kids who know what they want to do since they were little, you know, what they want to do and they, they end up doing it. But, uh, you, a lot of, a lot of kids, and this is, you know, this is natural. You just don't know what you're good at. So you have to go try lots of stuff and sure. figure out what you, what you like and what your strengths are. You just, you just don't know. Like you did not know you, you, that you would enjoy teaching and in high school, you, you didn't, you know, probably while you were still uh, working your way through college, you had no clue that, that, that was something that you enjoyed. Sure. You, so. Well, in, in high school for me, like the thing that I was good at was English. I liked reading, I liked writing and I liked rock and roll. And so I thought being a music journalist was the, the, the thing I needed to do, but really it was like, you know, I think I didn't realize that I was also into science because, you know, the science classes that I took were, were kind of un, uninspiring. And so like, I just didn't put any effort towards those. And, you know, you talk about favorite teachers. My, my favorite teacher in high school was for sure my English teacher. Okay, good. Um, but, you know, after, after taking several of these, uh, these, English classes. I mean, I, I got most of the way through an English degree before, before I was like, this isn't right. <laughs> this isn't right. I need to, the, this is not for me. Um, but, uh, yeah, sometimes the, the, the hard thing is worth doing. I remember when I first looked at, you know, all the math requirements for a biology degree, I was like, Oh my goodness. I don't know if I'm cause I'm, I'm not, I struggle with math. I'm not, that is not a strong suit for me at mm. all. Um, but uh, I remember, I remember talking to um, a professor at UTC who actually wound up being on my uh, my my uh, thesis committee in grad school down the road. But he was like, you know what? So what if there's math? Like, if this is what you want, you work hard for it, you suffer through the things that that are hard or you don't like, and you still get where where you're going in the end. Um, so it's, it's, it's worth suffering through some of that more difficult stuff to get where you want to be. To get to the other term. side. That's right. Yeah. So it's just like, you gotta, you gotta dig this hole or this tunnel and go through it to get where you want to go. Yeah. You know, cool. Cool. Oh, I, I, you know, I want to, I was just thinking about this too. You're talking about your English teacher. I want to give a shout out to my English teacher, uh, Bob Burnt, 
uh, Mr. Burnt, I'm still friends with him on Facebook and he's a, he's a great guy. And he, uh, he got me writing poetry and things like that. So he was, uh, uh, also an inspiration too. Don't want to forget that guy either. So, <laughs> so if you're listening, Mr. Burnt, thank you. Now you, um, in terms of, uh, I want to shift this just a little bit because you brought up something, uh, that I also noticed about you as your interest in music. And, uh, let's, let's talk about that a little bit. You wanted to be the almost famous journal <laughs> journalism guy and go around in concerts and interview, uh, all, all the bands. Uh, and so you had that in your head, but, but obviously you have this, this love of music. What kind of music are you really into? Oh boy. Um, well, that's, that's hard. That's hard for me to say for sure, because there's a lot of music that I'm into. Um, I, I really love Southern rock, blues, reggae, funk, bluegrass, some gospel, like old country. Like I like a, I like anything that's got, some soul to it. Okay. You know, if, if it seems like it was made in a factory and there was a team of songwriters and yeah. just designed to sell albums, I'm not really so interested in that. I want something that, that is, that is truthful and, uh, you know, kind of reveals a little bit of the artist's soul. Um, and I think that can be found in a variety of genres. Okay. So Southern rock, you're, uh, what are we talking about on Allman brothers? Yeah, so it's funny you say that. I'm actually wearing a Greg Allman T-shirt right now. Look at now. that. So you are. Yeah. So, and I, I actually found out years later that that almost famous movie um, was loosely based on a true story about the Allman Brothers band. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I thought that was so interesting because the Allman Brothers then became um, one one of my absolute favorite bands after high school. Um, I got to see them live in, in 2005 oh, wow. and that just, oh man, it, I was hooked from then on. And, and, um, before they called it quits in 2014, I, I got to see them 25 times. Holy so cow. <laughs> it became a thing where every yeah. year we try to catch a couple of shows. Um, but yeah, the Almond brothers, that's, that's probably, if I had to pick a favorite band, I'd, I'd say that they're, they're right there at the top. I, you know, when I was a kid and was going back to junior high, uh, when we bought records, you took your birthday money or whatever your, your lawn mowing money and you go to the record store and buy albums. And, um, the, one of the first four albums that I bought with my hard earned cash for about, I think it was probably four ninety five was Almond Brothers, Brothers and Sisters, nice. <laughs> which is still, uh, you know, incredible album, even though, you know, Dwayne's passed and it's just Greg and the rest of the band, but it's still one of those iconic Southern rock albums that, that just, to me, doesn't age. It's just, I can still listen to that. Oh, thing. it's so good. And what, what's so interesting about them as a band too, is that, you know, they had several iterations. They had some, some early tragedies with, with Dwayne dying. And then, you know, the, the next year, Barry Oakley dying in, in basically the yeah. same way. And then, you yeah. know, through the seventies and eighties, there was, um, some changes in the lineup. And then even through the nineties, there was changes in the lineup. And a lot of times that when you see that in other bands, it equates to a decline in the music, but there's not a decade that I can point to in the Allman Brothers history where they weren't amazing in one way or another. And their last iteration with Derek trucks on guitar and Warren Haynes on guitar and Oteil Burbridge on bass. Oh my goodness. Like that to me, that was 
and and I'm biased because those are the shows that I got to see. <laughs> uh, but right. that it seems to me that they really they went out on a high note, what, rather than just kind of become like a you know a sad cover band of themselves. They they really went out at the top of their game. Where they end up going to the state fair and they only have one original. <laughs> yeah, <member>. exactly. <laughs> or, or or the the son of one of the original members or something. Yeah, like that. Uh, which happens a it lot. It does. Um, yeah, uh, and the, the band that's a band that just could have sort of they stay within their their roots, but they would just constantly rein, reinvent themselves yeah. along the way. Mm-hmm. Along the way, and rock and roll is a rough business, and you know, if, if there's you know, if you're going to get in rock and roll, it seems like. Uh, Stay off motorcycles and, no and don't, don't get on a small plane. Right. I mean, for crying out loud, <laughs> I think, you know, just, oh my gosh, you lose so many, uh, so many great people to you know, motorcycle accidents or, you know, plane crashes and, or, or, you know, I'm thinking, I was thinking about Harry Chapin the other day who, you know, uh, was, was in an auto accident and lost his life. So it's, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a rough go being a musician, you know, you, you've got to, thread the uh run the gauntlet of popularity and all of the vices that come with popularity and you know vehicle failure as well sure. <laughs> so there's a there's a lot of things that, that can kill you well and i think these guys you know so many of them they start out young and then basically are not a part of the real world once they achieve fame and so they 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 don't have by my estimation, they don't have a good concept of, of what it, what it means to, you know, live and interact in normal society. And they, you know, engage in, in reckless behavior that, that unfortunately in many cases, uh, doesn't end well. Yeah. Yeah. Do you play any instruments yourself or? I do actually. So I, I used to have a, a fairly active band, um, and we would, we would cover a lot of Allman Brothers and Leonard Skinner and the Rolling Stones and the band and the Grateful Dead. Um, you're talking my language here, son. Yeah. <laughs> and we were, we were called, uh, Blues Frog and the Georgia Rhythm Crickets. Um, <laughs> that's awesome. So even, even a herp themed, uh, band name there. Um, w- strangely enough, I did not come up with the name. Uh, my, my bandmate who's, who's kind of somewhat into herps is the one who came up with it. But as soon as he pitched it to me, I was like, Oh yeah, that's a great name. I love it. Blues frog uh, and the rhythm crickets. Yeah. The Georgia rhythm, crickets. the Georgia rhythm crickets. That's oh right. my gosh. We're right on the Georgia line. And so we, we used to practice in Georgia primarily, but, uh, yeah, so we used to, we used to play, um, around town, just little gigs here and there. Um, but, uh, yeah, I play rhythm guitar. I used to dabble in mandolin a little bit. Um, I need to get back into that, but, uh, yeah, I would not claim to be a mandolin player by any stretch, but yeah, I was the rhythm guitar player for, for my band. And then we had kind of modeling ourselves after the Allman brothers. We had, had two lead guitar players and then two percussionists. Oh, wow. Assist. Okay. Very good. So you could chunk out, you could chunk the mandolin chords, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. That, but that's about it. <laughs> yeah. Well, my, my friend, Justin Michaels is, uh, has picked up the mandolin this year. You know, I, I'm, I'm friends with him on Facebook and I've gotten to meet him at snake road a couple of times. And I, I, I saw that, that he, uh, he, he's got a mandolin now. Might have to get together and have a jam session one of these days. Well, he's, he's, he's really stuck with it and he's, he's, uh, he's getting pretty good. Uh, it's, awesome. it's just, uh, we were just hanging out, uh, last weekend or a couple weeks ago and, uh, you know, he's, he's doing really well with it. And so, um, and I understand you, you play a banjo. Is that right? 
Well, I, I, I don't play it well. I mean, I, I, I mess with it and, um, you know, I've got, my hands are really arthritic and I've, I've got some problems with them. I'm, I'm never going to be that guy, uh, you, you know, who can play all those uh, bluegrass roles, uh, flawless bluegrass roles and stuff like that. But I like, I enjoy playing it and I, I, uh, I play for myself mostly, uh, you know, but people, the problem, the problem is just people find out, you know, Oh, there's a picture of me playing a banjo floating around once in a while. And somebody will say, well, you play the banjo. And, and, and then they, they have uh, their expectations is that that's all baked in, you know? <laughs> right. and, and it's like, well, yeah, I, I play it, but I'm not a, player you know gotcha so, okay <laughs> um but i you know i can do a few things i i enjoy mostly what i do with it is i enjoy myself and uh, sure you know this is one of those things that whether it's you know whether it's music or herping or whatever it's there's got to be joy in it right um yeah and um you know there's an old uh, kirk vonnegut uh quote about you know he's he's talking to a professor and the he's, he's the professor's trying to get to know him a little better. And he tells the professor, well, I play the piano, but I'm not very good. And the professor says, well, it doesn't matter how good you are. It's just amazing that you're, you're attempting, you're taking this up and you're putting your time and effort in, in, into it. And, and that's really what it matters is I, you know, play it and I enjoy the sounds I get out of it. And I enjoy my, you know, making my own little tunes and stuff. And that's the important part. I'm having fun with it. So. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It, you know, as soon as it becomes, um, a job. I think that's when it loses some of its sparkle. We had, we very briefly had a little house gig where we were playing every weekend and it got, it got to be where it wasn't, it wasn't so much fun anymore because it kind of became a job and, uh-huh. and it took some of the joy out of it. So these days we just, we play for fun when we're able to get together and, and jam we do. Um, but I, you know, I were talking about the banjo there. I, the next instrument that I plan on getting and this is definitely cheating, and I hope this doesn't offend your sensibilities as a as a banjo picker. Um, but I'm planning to buy a a six string banjo, Ooh. a, a, a gitjo, or a, yeah. what's the what's the other term for those? Uh, a banjitar. Yeah, because uh, I I love the sound of a banjo, but I I'm not interested in <laughs> in learning a new yeah. instrument. I, so if I could play a banjo like a guitar, yeah, I see Neil go. Young play one of those. Oh really? Yeah, he plays it on that song about the dog King. Remember the my old dog King? Okay. Uh, yeah, he's playing the the six string banjo on that. Yeah. So, so that that's on my on my uh, on my wish list. All right, <laughs> sounds awesome. Now my my buddy Tracy Mitchell plays the four string tenor banjo. Okay. And he plays in an Irish cool. group, and he goes to Ireland, you know, every year, and and sits down in pubs with um you know these Irish players, and I use players with a capital P. And hangs out with them, and uh, he's he's very proficient with that four string, uh, awesome. in the in the Irish thing. So, cool. So four, five. I'm you're 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 six. I'm five, and Tracy's four in terms of strings. So, <laughs> perfect. <laughs> so tell me, uh, I'm gonna shift this back a little bit. Uh, I think I, I, I look forward to, to seeing you again sometime and talking more about music <laughs> in person, but. Uh, so do you, uh, in, in terms of Tennessee and herping, do you get out and do much on your own? Uh, you got so many great salamanders in that state for one thing. And we do. And, and I, I hope that this answer isn't disappointing, but, uh, I do most of my herping, like just pleasure herping in Georgia, oh, okay. um, which, which isn't probably a great answer, but I'm, I'm much some 
pretty decent herping in Georgia than I am to the Smokies. And so I do make it up to the Smokies from time to time. Um, and I love salamanders. Salamanders are, are awesome. Uh, but my, my focus, and this isn't even necessarily, it just kind of winds up that way. My focus is usually snakes and I just, I have an easier time okay. finding snakes at, at, at some of these spots that I know in Georgia. Um, so no, sadly I don't do as much herping in Tennessee as I probably should, but you're absolutely right. We've got some amazing stuff here from, you know, all the little plethodonids and the smokies and hellbenders and, um, you know, we've got a good diversity yeah. of ambistomatids. Yeah. Got a lot of cool stuff for sure. But snakes are your, your jam. They are. And I, I hate to admit that cause I don't want to be like one of these snake only herpers. Um, my, my research in grad school was not related to snakes at all. I did, I did a study on uh, like a chytrid fungus study, um, oh. with, uh, ranid frogs. And so like my, my academic background has nothing to do with snakes, but, snakes have have been an obsession of mine my entire life i was i was kind of born into a family um that was uh that was into into herps and so it's just always been a fascination of mine and i've pursued them everywhere i've lived i've um i've always been you know in any opportunity i had out looking for snakes i i get that i i you know somebody stepped on my head and said choose something i'd probably choose snakes First frogs close second and everything else third. So, you know, definitely, I mean, snakes, you know, so many people, that's their, their gateway drug. Right. And it was, it was for me, it's like, you know, got a snake in the backyard. I'm just a kid. And it's like, what the hell is this? What's going on here? What's this all about? And then, but eventually, you know, you, it's like you buy a field guide or you get a field guide or you're, you're out looking for snakes and you find frogs or whatever. And it's like, well, I could learn about this too. And so you kind of expand your horizon. So, but yeah, snakes are still number one, two, uh, one for me as well, I think. So, so you're in a, you're in a big club, buddy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, I'm, I'm aware of that. And, you know, we like to poke fun at each other, like, you know, these snake only herpers <laughs> get into something else. You loser. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of fun too. Cause you know, this is, this is one of those things that, um, uh, I call them the, um, sometimes I'll call snake people, the servants of the golden worm, you know, and, <laughs> Perfect, and, yeah. and, you know, they're, they'll be like, yeah, what'd you see? Well, I, you know, no snakes, but you know, there's a bunch of frogs that jumped away and you're like, ah, you know, right. oh, no, it's just frogs. So what, you know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, you know, there are people who just, it don't, it doesn't seem to grab them at all. And, and. Uh, so I, I kind of try to poke fun at them a little bit. It's like, you know, it's, you know, frogs are nice too. Sure. <laughs> it is kind of interesting that reptiles and amphibians have been lumped together into this, you know, all encompassing herpetology thing, because of course they're not each other's closest relatives, but I, I think that you hit it right on the head that when you're out looking for snakes, you have, you know, pretty much the, the same likelihood of, of rolling a log and finding a salamander or a frog or, or something else. And so that pr- appreciation is, is like kind of a side effect maybe. Yeah. <laughs> know. You know, they're all catchables. Yeah, that's right. Right. Those poor bird watchers. I mean, I know, right. <laughs> hey, at least, they, at least they all tell each other like when they see something cool like hey this cool thing's over here come check it out well they tell each other about cool birds because nobody can catch the damn things that's right so it's you know 
it's, it's all neutral territory though. Um, and I, you know, I like, actually I like birds and I'm a, a little bit of a bird watcher. I, I, I get a little, um, I get a little upset sometimes because of the, the people that, um, push birds, you know, you know, some rare bird comes into their territory and you get a big crowd and you've got, looks like a hundred people with pointing bazookas at the sky. And, uh, and sometimes sure. the birds get a little pushed by that and that, that doesn't, or, you know, that, that doesn't sit well with me, but for the most part, you know, it's a nice obsession to have. I think, um, uh, people get outside, they spend a lot of time outside in bad weather. They get up early, all clean living. <laughs> right. you know, herpers are still asleep and the birders are out. Uh, you know, by the time, by the time I'm up and Adam, the birders are all back having their coffee. Right. So, <laughs> it's a different lifestyle, but uh, I do appreciate it. And I have, you know, lots of Herper friends who are birders too. Like, well, like, like our buddy, Bob, first, yeah. and he's a big birder. Matt Ratcliffe is another, uh, um, big, big, uh, turned into a big birder guy. So I appreciate, the the Steve Barton and other people like that who, you know, post, uh, some cool pictures of, you know, the snowy owls are coming down. So there's some, been some great snowy owl pictures this year already and things like that. So how could you not like that stuff? Well, and it's justifiable because I mean, at the end of the day, birds are just fancy reptiles, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the uncatchables. So. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <You know. laughs> well, listen, it's been great to talk to you. Um, I appreciate you coming on the show and um, and let it again know. First of all, you know that it's just great fun to, to chat with you and and uh, get to know you a little better and uh, and uh, you settle my curiosity about this herpetology club thing. And, uh, but before, before we go though, do you think that, um, do you think that putting together, you know, you put together a poster about the club and your intentions, is that something you can bundle into a a mod, a module or a syllabus that somebody else could use to start a herpetology? I hope so. Yeah. That, that was another kind of unspoken goal behind this is, is to kind of create a template um, for, for other schools to potentially do something similar. Um, so yeah, that, that, that's my hope. Um, and the poster is in, um, I have it saved as both a a PowerPoint slide and as a a PDF. And so anybody that would like to see it, I'm, I'm happy to, I'm happy to share it with, with anybody that would be interested in it. Cool. Cool. Very good. Well, thanks once again, Paul. Do you go by Paul or Paul Eric? Because I see Paul Eric. Is it Paul Eric? Okay. Yeah, it's 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 a Norwegian thing. Ah, and Bakland is a Nor Norwegian Norwegian thing too. Correct. Right. Okay. And so you're uh how far back does your family go in this country? Do you are you can you trace back to when they came from Norway or you Yeah, it was very recent actually. Oh, my really? my grand okay. my grandparents immigrated to the United States in the in the fifties. Oh, okay. All right, very good. Okay, Paul, Eric, thanks again for coming on the show. It was great to talk to you. Look forward to next time we I can see you. Maybe I'll give you a shout next time I come through to your area. Yeah, please do. All right, will do. That's it for episode 54. Thank you so much, Paul, Eric Bockland, for coming on the show. I enjoyed our chat, and I enjoyed getting to know you a little better. And uh, best of luck with the Herpetology Club. 
And thanks once again to Cam Delahose for supporting the show. And thanks as always to all of the So Much Pingle patrons. And uh, if you would like to kick in a few bucks, you can do so via Patreon. Just go to patreon.com slash so much pingle and so much pingle is all one word. And you can also make one-time contributions via PayPal or Venmo. Just drop me an email to so much pingle at gmail.com for more details. And don't forget that you can find all of the recorded episodes and show notes at so muchpingle.com. And you can join the So Much Pingle Facebook group to follow the show and interact with me and some of my guests. And last but not least, you can reach me directly via email at so muchpingle at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. And until we meet again, Happy New Year. Please take good care of yourselves and don't forget to hurt better.